PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Welcome. Our loyal and captive audience is few here with another episode of PD Raw, talking with, of course, one of my favorite guests, my girlfriend, Burning Lila. Burning Lila, the woman who I love enough to fight her father. How are you doing? I'm good, and I've yet to see this fight, so don't listen to him. Don't <laughs> <laughs> trust him. It's in the song, so now it's obligated? Isn't that how it works? No, you need to come over to the UK and challenge him to a duel. So that's... Challenge him to a duel. That, yeah. Right, because pistols might help even out that six or seven inches of height he has on me because your family's the last of the giants or something like that. He's also old, so you can if you're up for <laughs> beating an old person, which I definitely am. I was just about to say, like, I was kind of hesitating beforehand, and now you kind of sold it. So, perfect. Right. <laughs> Be the old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we're here for episode number two with you. We're probably going to do some more. I mean, as you said, heading to the UK soon and seeing you in person. Maybe the third episode will be while I'm on the on the run from the constabulary for beating up old people. You never know. But yeah, we were going to pick up where we left off last time, which was, I believe the last thing that you said that you were about to talk about was aggressive things that you've done that maybe didn't pan out super well or that you weren't thrilled about. And we're also going to go more deep into childhood things. Those are two kind of cliffhangers or promissory notes that I remember from last time. But also, it doesn't really fucking matter because we're the ones with the power. We're in control of this podcast. We can do whatever the fuck we like. What do you think we're going to start off this hour with? I was going over some of the stuff that I wrote about the childhood things. And I was just like, every time I looked at it, I was just like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is blaming one of my parents over the other. This is black and white thinking. This is, and then another version, I was just like, no, this is making a small child responsible for a load of things that they shouldn't have been responsible for. So I've got to like caveat this with, I don't know what the fuck was going on, basically. <laughs> yeah. And that is fascinating to hear, almost terrifying to admit that you don't even have quite privileged authorship or ownership over your own story, that it's not completely accessible to you. We were talking about this a little bit before we got on the cast. I think it's super useful for both disordered people and ordered people or quote unquote healthy or functional who are listening to the cast. Maybe the dysfunctional people can identify with the fact that it is not 
super straightforward or easy to kind of just introspect and look at things and have an unbiased perspective. How difficult that is when even your own mind's eye kind of keeps spinning around looking at things from different directions. I think that's kind of a part of the core of insecurity or maybe even the nameless narcissist saying that this sort of people playing fast and loose with the truth. I mean, how can you weave a coherent narrative for another person when you can't even do it for yourself? And so hopefully the disordered people can identify with it and the healthy or functional people maybe have a little bit more insight on why it's so difficult to deal with people who are coming from those spaces or maybe have a little bit of empathy for how difficult it is for them themselves. Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to pick up on that insecurity part because when I was thinking about this early, I was kind of thinking about how there was a point in my childhood where it was when I was quite young and before I kind of started to form a false self I guess and I just yeah I have all of these memories of the negative stuff crystal clear word for word I can remember when when teachers criticized me I can remember when other kids criticized me I can remember times when my parents didn't give the reactions that I probably deeply wanted at that time it's just like yeah I have all of these memories of just being like a useless kid but I don't remember word for word any of the good stuff. And I don't think it was all bad because I still talk to my parents now and they're not monstrous people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of well of memories and thoughts about myself as a kid I've got to draw on. So when I try and kind of get over failure or criticism now, I don't have all these memories of, but like generally you're okay. Generally you've got skills at this. You know, this is one setback. I don't have kicking in straight away that access to kind of all the successes. So, yeah, it's quite strong negative memory bias, I'd say. Yeah. And I mean, that is a part of how people can end up in the void, or it's also just an easy trap to get stuck in, which is I think there are a number of people who have made points about social media or even just in some of like those whistleblower documents that came out with Meta recently and other deep dives of the complicity and other stuff. But there's an incentivization towards anger or negative feelings or social comparison and trying to draw envy out of people because those are strong, sharp, easy emotions that aren't easily resolvable. They're not super complicated. You can be aggressive or feel kind of ill will towards somebody and you don't understand complexity and depth and nuance of their inner life. To get to empathy, you have to be at a place of security where you feel like it is worthwhile or significant to be able to explore other people and what's going on inside of them. And that can lead you to the positive emotions of understanding the significance and importance of certain moments or memories or just people and connections in your life. And so when you fall, though, into the trap of privileging the negative emotions or not being able to balance them out with anything else, then it's sort of difficult to see, well, how do you get out of that place because then you start getting also used to being activated by those types of emotions so then you start seeking out those types of experiences to help outweigh or counterbalance the weight of force of the things you feel inside from before and then of course you have to keep doing it and it's just a natural escalation it just keeps on ratcheting itself up it's one of those self-reinforcing mechanisms and so yeah i mean 
the question, and I guess the thing that I see that as leading to is where people start to enjoy the negative emotions because that's what they remember the most from before. You need new ones to obliterate or outweigh the weight of the old ones. And then, of course, you need more to then outweigh those. And you start getting into a series of escalating acts of negative or aggressive actions towards others or yourself in order to compensate for the last thing. And then, of course, you learn to enjoy expressing those types of actions to be egocentric or to find some sort of semblance of anything in the life that you're choosing to lead at this point. And that ends up being kind of nothing or void-like because negative feelings or emotions or aggressive ones are inherently about kind of reducing things to nothing or to be reacting against or moving away from things. And without ever having those counterbalancing moments of, well, what are you moving towards? What do you value? What do you love, feel safe with, trust? Without ever having any of those, you kind of just live a life that is empty and pointless, just going from one drama to the next and trying to use that to just pass your time and wondering all the while, why the fuck am I even bothering? Damn, like, don't get all bleak on my life, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, not just you I'm coming for. I'm thinking about, I guess, well, one of the things that I had in mind there is both you and a couple of other people where they've expressed, you know, well, what's the point in living? Uh, you know, five, six years, I can't imagine myself getting old. And it's one of those things where once I lose the youthful vigors, the charms, the body, the voice, or some of the perks, the energy, that the shallow, in other words, that allows you to live the life and keep on doing the things you're doing, you see no further point in life. It's like, why am I even still sticking around here? And the point is, once you lose out on kind of those external crunches that are kind of propping you up and keeping you going, your life doesn't actually still have anything to be sustaining, to keep you in it because it's what you want or it's because it's what you love or because you're embedded in a network or community. And so, yeah, it's, it's bleak and it's difficult, but I feel like I would be remiss in not pointing out that This is one of the ways that you can end up in that pointlessness or that emptiness, which is a core feature of, say, borderline and narcissistic personality disorder in particular. So, yeah, it sucks ass. (laughs) We're trying to lift people out of that as much as we can or just trying to figure out how do you address or work with it. But in order to be able to work with something, you kind of got to understand what's happening in the first place, right? Mm, Yeah, there's so much there. I mean... I had a lot of thoughts and then you started talking about old people and now my mind just went blank and (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh not the old again don't remind me about that (laughs) but yeah I think again the child going back to the some of the childhood stuff I guess because I wasn't really close with my extended family as well I don't really have a good model of this is how to grow old well you know this is how to what are the joys of old age yeah I remember my granddad being completely terrified him of him because he just exuded this dark fuck off energy, which I <laughs> find familiar. I just I was really scared of him as a child, and he was quite an unhappy man, I think. Because um, mm. yeah, yeah, and he did. He was definitely very insecure as well because his he struggled with kind of literacy and things like that and his wife was really intelligent 
she spoke several languages, but she wasn't allowed to in the house, that kind of thing. And so she was really oppressed by this guy as well. So Yikes. yeah, I wasn't planning on talking about that, but that thought just came out of this really scary old guy that I just don't want to become. And I will just say you just reminded me that my partner speaks French. It's weird. First language is English, but primary language is French now. Just her brain is weird. But just I joke around because I don't speak French. And so I, whenever she's partaking in that, I'm just like, oh, it's your made-up language. Or whenever we see it somewhere out in the world, I'm just like, holy crap, your thoughts are leaking out into reality again. Like, how did that happen? And <laughs> maybe I'm calling myself out as being insecure, kind of diminishing the that. Nah, I, I, I'm just teasing. I think in my case, it's all just in fun and just. But yeah, that is something to mention about how people's insecurities can really play out so concretely and tangibly and you can just see it so starkly from certain positions and maybe to the point where some people who are so insecure they may think that they have control or mastery of the environment or of themselves or that they're hiding their shame. And you just come to it from a different perspective. And it's just, you might as well have this shit tattooed on your head, kid. <laughs> the, the environment that you are creating and the way that you're choosing to maintain yourself, the only person you're managing to fool is yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I say it's interesting. I feel like I had a bit more intuition about what people were like as a kid. Maybe, yeah, he was a scary man. Yeah, he's not. He wasn't just a scary guy. He did kind of suffer a lot. I think he was traumatized by the war, and he'd had electroshock therapy, which messed him up a bit. And shit. Yeah, so that was a whole other thing that I did not intend to speak about. But <laughs> here we are. Yeah, I don't want to end up really bitter and old like him, but I don't have a good model for how to be a happy old person. I don't think. I feel like just calling you out right now where you say, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to be bitter and old like him and you want a proper role model. And on the other hand, you want Logan Roy to be your daddy or you no, want to I be Logan Roy. <laughs> so I don't... Oh I'm my kinda... <laughs> no, I started off wanting to be him and then I was like, no, he reminds me a bit too much of that vibe and... I just, no, no thanks. I mean, the money would be nice, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I want to come back to, again, there's like 20 million directions I could go in there. But another thing that I've kind of mentioned or intuited before I kind of suspect is that you've said that when you were a kid, you were more intuitive or aware or embracing and accepting of emotional realities and environments and what people had going on inside of themselves. And that is a skill that you've lost that's been more difficult as you've gotten older and chosen certain ways of relating to the world. And April actually said the exact same thing. She described some of the ways that she thought of herself and how to try and broach conversations with people and talk about things that were emotionally important to her. And after being shown or feeling at the very least, like she wouldn't be embraced or accepted for who she wanted to be and being kind of invalidated or traumatized in that way, then she gave up on that way of being enmeshed or tuned and intuitive in the environment and kind of hid her true self. And now that is something that is more difficult. Or there's the privileging of the externals and the kind of shallow superficial ways of relating to people instead of those real deep ways of 
really seeing what's going on with somebody relating at a heart level almost. And so, yeah, it just sounds like you're describing again to yourself that you were there, but then you lost it. And part of the point of trying to, I think, work with people is to bring them back to that point. It's not to teach them new things. It's not to, you know, make them an adult. It's not to make them not narcissistic. It's to bring you back to a point where you had these skill sets before things started getting pruned because kids are very emotionally enmeshed and open and engaged. There's lots of ways in which they're incredibly intelligent. And we actually kind of handicap ourselves through the process of growing older by pruning certain connections or ways of seeing the world or of relating to people or ourselves as we start internalizing these messages and voices of what's allowed or what isn't. And so it's just sometimes funny that with people, especially disordered, you show up and it's like, what the fuck's the point of therapy? Like, why are we just talking about shit? I want to learn something new. And it's, no, it's, it's not about going forward sometimes as it is about going backwards. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely been, I can remember a time when I was, I do kind of struggle to get a grip on what I was really like as a kid because all this negative stuff that's probably not correct. I was just a child, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I remember being quite imaginative and that kind of thing, which got a bit co-opted later on into other activities. um... (laughs) All right, audience, that's what we call a promissory note. We'll follow up on that later. Please continue. I think that's just what started off as like kind of an imaginative, maybe a bit do you want to say sensitive? I don't, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like admitting to being maybe a bit of a sensitive, worried child, but I've said it now, so I can just ask you to edit it later. Which I will totally do. <laughs> yeah, and then it kind of turns more into being quite paranoid and kind of being off in my own alternative reality and not just kind of getting out of the real world. Yeah, well, I mean... That's that's how you get grandiosity eventually. (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting because, yeah, you're describing that there's a disinvestment from the real world and then a cathecting or investing in your own alternate reality or your own emotions, your own solipsism or independence from the world because there were things that kind of made you want to disconnect or check out, or maybe it's when you're connected to the world, but then you have experiences and makes it feel like you've got your hand on a hot stove. Well, the first thing you're going to do is take your fucking hand off the stove and you're just not going to touch it again. And that's what you think reality is going to be like, is going to be putting your hand back in the fire. Then you're just not going to do that again. And part of trying to bring people back to reality is to maybe try to I don't want to say correct that perspective, because again, I'm not even necessarily sure that you're wrong about some of your feelings or thoughts about your being a child, because it's confusing. There's so many angles, there's so many perspectives, there's so many people involved in the feelings that you had of reacting to your father, your grandfather, your mother. So it isn't actually all that easy to say definitively what things are. And that's, I think, when you're actually at a point where you're starting to see the nuances and subtleties. And I think there's something that's closer to being honest about that. And security is when you get to a point where you say, this is 
good enough. This has been reality tested. This has been involving other people's input or the outside world. I know it's not just myself and I'm confident with my interpretation. And this is a choice in my expression of who I want to be and how I want to move through the world. And so getting to that point is kind of where you're back to being like a child, but there's once you're an adult, there's more of a decision of an intentionality. There's more awareness of the process as opposed to when you're a kid. It's either you pay attention to reality or it fucking sucks and you check the fuck out. And there's kind of no more nuanced or sophisticated tools that you got. Yeah, I don't assume my tools are that great now, but... (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, that, that is quite a lot. I think that's kind of picking up on some of the things that I thought was wrong with my thinking about this before because I was just kind of trying to fit my parents or the world around me into a certain box and being like well this was the bad one this is the good one and then this is what kind of child you were but it just doesn't people just aren't kind of like that but when your memory of those times is kind of not very existent you've working back it's quite difficult and you (laughs) the way I try and do is I try and pieces together like a a logic puzzle or something because I don't remember how I felt so but yeah the problem with that is I just see it from the perspective of an adult and I remember yeah you mentioning something that was really helpful and took quite a while to sink in was that remembering a, a time when my dad was really really angry at me when I was probably under 10 I don't know I don't know what age I was but a child Yeah, he got really angry at me because I left something outside accidentally and he would just not stop shouting at me. And as an adult, kind of with my current opinions on men shouting at me, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm an adult, I feel like I've got enough kind of resources to usually get away from that kind of situation or do something with it to make it to my advantage. So now I kind of feel contemptuous of men shouting at me, feel like they're kind of pathetic and they've lost control and all that kind of thing and I was trying to think of myself as a child in those terms but a tiny kid is not gonna have all of that to deal with the situation and they're not responsible not even that an adult being yelled at is responsible but they can't necessarily do anything to get themselves out of that situation and yeah for a long time I thought I was just really pathetic as a kid not being able to get out of this and not being able to stand up for myself (laughs) just like come on this six foot six guy was yelling at you you were like probably eight years old you were what you're telling me is i need a time machine to go back and fight your father that's what you want from me we we knew there was (laughs) going to be some continuity here like we're bringing that back yeah no i mean everything you're saying sounds kind of spot on i mean especially as a 10 year old there's numerous ways in which you're vulnerable and can't do anything about the situation you're financially dependent emotionally dependent you're physically i mean you're smaller and so i think i remember one of the things you said too is like why didn't i just walk away and it's well maybe he would have been furious if his kid just turned around and walked away from him when he was fucking raging out i mean there's perfectly sensible explanations for the behaviors that you were taking on at that time because you have to think with the resources and perspective of being a child and so if you just project backwards from where you are right now you're going to do yourself a disservice of not actually 
being honest with yourself about what happened. The other thing, Vakman talks about this a lot, and of course it's mentioned in a lot of other places, but that's confabulation, which is when you don't have the memories or the emotions to tie you towards certain events to be able to kind of index and pull those up and see what really happened. So instead, you kind of think about it in vague points, and you're just like, okay, what do I think happened? What's the closest explanation? Or what do I think about it now? Or this is how this must have gone. And so you're kind of talking about confabulating a little bit here, even for yourself of the memories or the perspectives that you don't have. Well, then this is what it was, or this is why I didn't do this. And or this is what occurred. And again, this is another one of those things about people asking, why do you do therapy? The fact that you've been able to bring those things up, get feedback or talk about it with somebody else. And then you see their perspective or you, are forced to now think about it outside of your own mindset because somebody else is also bringing to you what they hear and it's starting to change even just for you what you think of of that memory or what occurred. And it's actually helping you to break out of just confabulating. You're still not quite remembering to some degree. Again, I'm kind of providing you <laughs> some suggestions or just some kind of practical points about you know, being a child and being vulnerable for an adult particularly your own parent. And that's a little bit better than just kind of projecting or confabulating. But even that's still not the real thing of really saying, well, this is what I felt. This is what I saw. This is what I remember. But, you know, you got to work with the tools that you got and being able to take on board other people's perspectives to help you see your own experiences with a fresh set of eyes. If that's something that brings you further than just kind of sitting there bashing over things in your own head, then why the fuck? I mean, you know, so long as it's in a safe, trusting, secure environment, let me just caveat that. Don't go do this with your neighbor or fucking randos on the street. Would not recommend. But with people who you trust and their opinion is worthwhile and meaningful to you, this is a part of the power of pro-sociality or vulnerability and humility with other people. Yeah, I know it's the worst thing you've ever tasted, but here we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's all right, like as long as other people are helping me and not the other way around. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because it just makes you think of how like I thought I was quite good at putting myself in other people's shoes. But that phrase is so deceptive because it's still me. It's still <laughs> how I would react if I was just in their position. I apply that to so much of my childhood stuff. How would I react if it was me now in that position? It's just like, no, other people aren't you. That's not <laughs> That's not what people mean by putting yourself in other people's shoes. That's a crap phrase and it needs to go and burn. <laughs> I mean, it's a step above just not considering other people at all. You just, you know, kind of see other people as recording boxes that just kind of say things and if it lines up with what you say, great. And if not, then you're a fucking idiot and you devalue and discard them. At least putting yourself in their shoes is kind of another step of, well, okay, there's like an inner working here and there's reasons. And but yeah, I mean, the real kind of gold standard of knowing what somebody else has going on inside of them is the vulnerability and humility of just fucking asking. And if that experience or practice is not at the core of your thoughts of how other people think 
or see the world, then you're almost assuredly getting it wrong to some degree. I mean, even people who are more sophisticated or can make better guesses or have more psychological insight or maybe experience, you know, a therapist or psychologist or something of the sort. There's study, there's book learning, but then there's also just you have practice of being at that point of asking people things and being dependent, being vulnerable, having to work through what they say and integrate it if it's something that is different from your experience or something that isn't immediately comprehensible. And so the only way you can kind of get better at really, quote unquote, putting yourself into other people's shoes is if you build up that repertoire of actually having people tell you what it is like to be in their shoes. And from there, you can maybe start making more educated guesses of building up this reservoir of people sharing with you their experiences and perspectives and what it feels like to be them. Or you can also seek this out in other ways through reading books or through watching shows or things where people articulate from their perspective what it feels like. And then you incorporate that. But yes, you know, narcissism starts with you and it ends with you. That's the thing to be avoided, isn't it? I mean, you've got to argue me a bit more on that point, but uh, <laughs> that's one point you come over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm, what was I going to say? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, one, I wish it was more normal to ask people. But then I also have the problem of emotional amnesia where I'm, when I'm in a happy state, I kind of forget what it's like to be yeah like sad or feeling like shit or and then when I'm feeling awful like I just forget happiness entirely or like I'll have a compassionate five minutes and then I'll forget what it's like to want to do that kind of stuff and so it's not just kind of learning about what it's like to have other people's experiences I guess it's also kind of like even connecting to other emotions that I've had mm-hmm. it's really like a, a difficult thing so it's I feel like if someone were to tell me I'd be like yeah I remember I vaguely remember what casual happiness is what people do when they're happy like <laughs> <laughs> this is so theoretical I have a fucking theory of happiness in my head <laughs> I forget what it's like it's it's wild and really weird to explain to people Well, sign up for Professor Lila's course on her theory of happiness coming soon to a country near you. Yeah, so I mean, of course, the things that I was just mentioning, you're right to kind of chirp me for that, is downstream of you being able to be able to have access to even your own feelings, your own interiority, or things kind of over a longer period of time. But it's interesting that you... Again, going back to the difficulty in accessing your childhood emotions or the experiences there, confabulating instead of, well, this is what it was like or why I didn't do this. And then talking now about the emotional amnesia of even just at the moment, forgetting things in alternation or being unable to keep other people's experiences in mind or not being able to think about certain things depending on what mood you're in. I mean, to some degree, I think that's fucking natural. Everybody, to some degree, is like, you know, they're in a... April said this about one of her therapists, that our lives go through waves, and one wave comes and hits you of emotions, and that's kind of what it is for that time. And you wait for it to pass, and another one comes in. 
But hopefully people who are a bit more healthy or grounded or integrated, there is some stability. There's a foundation, there's a footing. Those waves don't just completely sweep you out or drag you under. And for disordered people, part of the problem, I think, is that you are completely at the mercy. There is no bottom. You're not kind of standing in the shallows. You feel like you're in the middle of the ocean and you are completely at the mercy of the tides and wherever they take you. And there is no conception of this wave and then the next and still this continuity or steadiness through them. It's just kind of chaos all the time, a constant churn. And that's a real difficult, almost intolerable condition to be in. Just describing it feels aching and painful. Hmm. And I think that's kind of where some of the confusion comes from when people will look at me over time and they'll be like, oh, one day she's being this kind of person, next day she's this other kind of person. And it seems quite I don't know, maybe it seems like I'm lying to them or one of them's fake, one of them's real. Who is this? One day she's really happy and fun and the next day she's just being awful to people, like what the fuck is going on? When she's tired, it's just like there's just emptiness. I think it's really confusing and I think that's where some of the kind of gaslighting worries come from. I don't want to excuse gaslighting. (laughs) What am I doing? I'm becoming the spokesperson for (laughs) gaslighting now. Yeah, I think that's kind of what part of what's going on on the inside when people see that on the outside. Well, so I guess I'll say that there's kind of gaslighting light, which is the thing where people say that you're doing it when you're being inconsistent or you're saying things that are contradictory, even to yourself. And people find it painful and hard to kind of be around you because they don't know what to do with that. And then there's kind of a more malicious or sadistic gaslighting where you are intentionally trying to provoke or destabilize somebody or deprive them of their ability to be in reality. So again, Mm -hmm. I think that it's not necessarily just the actions that people take. It's where is it coming from? This is another point where I've said where you can be narcissistic without being sadistic. And things like gaslighting, they sort of look like yeah, you're contradicting yourself, you're not in reality, you're saying things to people, and they're just like, you're clearly lying about things that we all know, we literally just saw this, like, this is what happened, or you were there. But it's not gaslighting in terms of them trying to, say, make a power play or trying to hurt you. It's they gaslight themselves, they confabulate, as we were just saying earlier. And that is something where, with a bit more awareness, it's still kind of difficult to deal with. But you, there's, an, there's a measure of acceptance you can come to with that of knowing that this person doesn't mean you harm or ill will. Then there's gaslighting where people are intentionally trying to control you or trying to deprive you of access to reality to make you dependent on them or to hurt you, to sabotage you. And that is something that comes with more of that sadistic component, or that's a particular way of trying to express it, of the enjoyment at harming and aggressing against other people to buttress your own false ego for material gain. I mean, it's just, as I've said many times before, I think it's just eminently practical. It is a way that you can try to get your needs met or for you to profit at other people's expense when you don't have trust in securing your needs with cooperation from your environment. And yeah, so I think it's really important to keep that difference of 
that element of sadism or why people are doing those behaviors. Cause I think that is a huge confusion and something that sometimes when people are disordered, like we see on the forums, it's like everybody demonizes us and everybody's super awful. And I can't figure out my own life. And they're saying I'm doing this, that, and the other versus there are other people where they're just dead ass. How do I control or emotionally abuse my partner? And because it's what I want to do and it makes sense. And everybody's just like, you're asking this on a support forum. You shouldn't fucking answer that. And it's like, yeah, but I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, that is a completely different experience or different thing. And having those in mind and trying to figure out where the person in front of you is coming from will allow you to kind of navigate more what you can do with this person or if they can have a continued presence in your life or not. Okay, so I took that as we're both now apologists for gaslighting. So thank you for joining me. We are both sponsors of big oil, big gaslighting. (laughs) Taking those bucks. Oh, dear God. All right, I'm done with that bit. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, I don't know so much as an apologist as much as just let's not be screaming at each other over confusions and ambiguity Mm -hmm. in terms when there's no fucking need for it. Yeah. Look at us, us little fucking philosophers that we are. And after the episode with the rise that we just did, I would be so remiss in not chirping you out, chirping you for having gone through the misery that is academic philosophy. And <laughs> the fact that us disordered people seem to gravitate towards it for some reason. I mean, there's just something about sitting in a room alone and just thinking that your thoughts just can just get their tendrils out there, grip onto reality, and you, you've got the answer. There's just something like too appealing about that. And I, I'm going to talk about gaslighting again because I don't want to think about that. <laughs> How like narcissistic I was in the past. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I think that was a really good distinction. But kind of thinking back to some of what maybe happened when I was a kid. I don't think there was, I can think of a few instances where it wasn't, I don't think it was sadistic kind of gaslighting, but I don't think it was quite as unaware as just like, hey, I'm a different person every day. I think some of it was, here's something that maybe they find too uncomfortable and that they want the situation to just go away. I remember when I was a teenager, I was self-harming and uh, I kind of got a bit called out on it, but I gave the world's worst lie and just got accepted. Like, oh yeah, that's fine. This kid can deal with their own problems. And I was just kind of left to sort it out myself when maybe I should have had some help or something even though at that time I would have jumped out of a window rather than get any help but (laughs) yeah just the kind of uncomfortable we need to not look at this bad situation or kind of a few instances where I think maybe my mum wanted to admire me more than you should admire a kid and anything bad was just kind of noped out or they can deal with it as if they were an adult when yeah, I just needed help on a lot of it, to be honest, and guidance. But I didn't really, yeah, you can't really give guidance to someone if you're just admiring them. Oh, <laughs> there's a number of things there. 
So one, I'll say that, yes, I think you're right. There is this kind of medium ground of gaslighting. Again, with April, with the story of trying to describe her dad being trans and sort of seeming to be very clear that he was willing to tell small lies to avoid having to have that uncomfortable conversation. And it also makes me think about Jacob and I talking about self-harming and our mothers either laughing or just not caring because that's an easier thing to do than to try to grasp emotionally the depth of what is occurring and to think about your complicity in the fact that this is your child who is struggling and your own incapacity to even manage yourself, let alone be able to help them through this. So again, you know, trying to humanize our parents, like you you maybe wanted a better reaction, but if they've been a part of what's brought you there, or even if they haven't been a part of what's brought you there, but they struggle on their own accord, the fuck are they going to do about it? <laughs> How are they going to throw you a life preserver when they're sinking themselves? Mm. And the other thing, of course, that you're just saying right now about your mother admiring you or having those, the feeling of that, well, that sounds, yeah, no, never mind, perfectly healthy. I'm sure that was great for you. And uh, we don't need to talk about it any further. <laughs> no, not at all. Let's just, let's just fucking bury that. I just remember like, yeah, I split when I was a kid into when I was like a, a useless small child. And then when I slowly got practice attributes that other people liked, I found out kind of things that my mom would give me praise for or attention for and it turned into being really perfectionistic about just everything at school and then eventually that kind of paid off in a way that she was like oh my god she's doing really well she's clearly a responsible adult and can be independent in that way I don't know I don't think that's very clear but I felt like yes I eventually got the attention that I wanted and I got kind of a childhood teenagerhood that some of my friends were jealous of because I didn't really have any boundaries which was another thing it's the kind of like being treated like a responsible adult when you're just a kid that just needs help in quite a lot of other ways so yeah yeah again so many things to say but the other thing that'll come to here and your idol Virtnark has mentioned this before as well about being that useless, weak, worthless, shame-ridden child. And it's just interesting that you describe yourself as such because, well, I mean, okay, then, then by that definition, every child is. Because every child is a fucking weak little thing, but is on the process of learning and developing into being an adult or being integrated. Uh, my niece, one of the things I kind of drilled into her head is that it is literally her job at this point to learn. And it's her primary prerogative as a child to take on new things and be excited, experience, grow. And so she wouldn't describe herself as being small or weak or incompetent. Or if she, there are things that she doesn't know, well, duh, <laughs> because she's a fucking kid. <laughs> And if she hasn't learned it, whose fault is that really? Like she has some, a lot of independence and self-ownership and she knows she has to put in her own effort, but then she also knows that she takes on a lot from the people in her environment and learns a lot from them. And so it isn't about a kid being competent or able or doing the right things. 
And it's not about them being weak or stupid or negligent worthy. They're children struggling to find themselves in their environment and to accrue what they will need to to serve them for the rest of their life. And so for you to say that there is one part of you that was this way and then you find value when you do the things that get you praise or admiration or that you think people on the outside, it's what they're looking for. But that's not what a child needs. And that's also not what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. in, my, in my opinion, at, <laughs> at any rate. No, that sounds like very healthier. Like I said, my memory is fucked, so I might just be lying right now. But I remember going from like the kind of ignored, inconvenient kid to suddenly you're an adult now and you can you're kind of independent and you should be the one finding your own answers and if you can't find your own answer then that's it (laughs) you're the one in charge of your world in a way that even adults shouldn't really be thinking that way I don't think you're not always going to be the one with the answers you're a person (laughs) yeah and so it just strikes me hearing you saying that is kind of a naive impulse there is how do you get this person to not describe themselves like that or to see their past selves or how do you get them to see the continuity from then till now and to holistically integrate it because that would help with their ability to remember the past or even emotional amnesia in the present you can see why you don't want to remember why those memories aren't accessible because why would you want to look at the things that you describe yourself as seeing as proof of your own incompetence or unworthiness but of course Mm -hmm. saying very clearly that there is i'm quite i'll say 99 percent sure there's no reason for you to have felt that way or to describe yourself at that time as having been such but at this point i don't think you're quite lying or confabulating because i actually think that is a very consistent point with so many disordered people in particular with some of the narcissistic anti-social people who we've been talking to on the forums or had on the pod that inner core of worthlessness or shame or feeling bad or awful and yeah i mean what you're describing is very consonant with a lot of these other people hmm. yeah i'm not sure if you got a good answer it kind of helps a bit when i just think about you know, would you expect other children to be able to just go around and behave independently and have all this responsibility and expectation on them? Then that kind of kind of helps a bit. But yeah, I feel like it would be good to get some of the just even the mundane memories back or the memories of when I did have guidance or just some of the more realistic memories back from that time. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely know for myself that a lot of the negative stuff sticks out, but I'm also very lucky that there have been people who've taken interest in me at some points. Teachers who recognize that I had a certain hunger or gift for certain types of knowledge. Uncle who's always been kind of kind or good to me and been there for me in a lot of places. Or past partners who really tried their best when I was the one who was struggling more. There are all the, and just also positive memories of my own, of things that I've done or times that I've been. And so it takes you being at a place, not to just belabor this dead horse, 
but of security where you feel like you can remember those pleasant feelings and you don't have to worry about kind of the shoe dropping or the the axe coming down on you of, well, here's the positive feelings and I'm feeling great about myself, but wait, what's going to make me feel worthless or insignificant again? So I can't, I shouldn't have those feelings. I'm not entitled to them. I know what happens when I actually let myself go. And that's a part of insecurity is the fear of things that are positive or good because you're they're so associated with disappointments or with misaligned expectations or the things that didn't pan out. And so you start to, again, cathect into the negative end of things, because at least then you've already made the disappointment manifest. You're Mm -hmm. less vulnerable. You're the one who is intending for things to go wrong or to be distant or to be unpleasant. It isn't that you can be in the infinitely more traumatizing position of actually truly hoping, truly loving, of being optimistic, of desiring something, and then seeing it ripped down before you and kind of torn to shreds. That whiplash is a large part of what makes trauma sting, as opposed to if you can see something and you kind of can prepare yourself for the blow and you know it's going to have a duration you can get through it and you get through to the other end and well then at that point you're just kind of talking about how a more healthier person would see trauma Uh, because of course they do also go through trauma but the difference is they can withstand it or they have other things to orient themselves around that lets them not be completely consumed by it as opposed to people where they kind of they just don't want to be in that position of getting surprised again, basically. Hmm. Yeah, I sort of relate to that. But when I have had kind of, yeah, I suppose as a kid, I did have more realistic ambitions or hopes. Then as I got older, they started getting a bit unrealistic, just a little bit. And (laughs) And so even when I did achieve something, it would just be a disappointment because like, Oh, I didn't get 100% on the exam. I could have done better. So whatever I did, it was still, yeah, even though I still had kind of hopes at that age. But yeah, I guess kind of, especially kind of hopes to do with social stuff. I guess when I was a kid, I went through a phase of kind of being really quiet and... Holy shit, how do we get that back? Yeah, that's why you want to go back to that age. You just want a, a pleasant, quiet, people pleasing. <laughs> oh, disgusting. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now because I'm back to thinking about when I was a kid who just, I just wanted to be accepted and I wanted to work out how to get other people to like me. And yeah, it just led to some pretty big letdowns and disappointments. So that's kind of, that kind of rings true about what you said about not getting your hopes up for something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's kind of the taller you are, the harder you fall. And so uh, uh, there's a line in an atmosphere song, the taller they are, the harder they fall. It's why some of us crawl. And that's the whole point of the fear of standing up again, because then there's more distance. It hurts more. And sometimes it can be better to just stay low 
important to not try to get out of that position. And that's a decision that some people make. And I'm sure for some people, maybe it's the correct decision. People have such differences of pasts and environments and traumas that I think I can say somewhat securely that I think that maybe for a minority of people, that position of staying beneath or to never try to aspire again or to get your hopes up is maybe a practical and efficient life solution or adaptation or way to think about how to structure the rest of the life going forward. But it is still somewhat quite tragic that really people are kind of flourishing the most when they are doing what they want, when they are with the people that they love, when they feel okay with what they're doing and the pursuits that they're engaged in. And when you have people who are too fearful to ever try to step into that space again because they're afraid of the pain that might come, or even another way of being afraid of the pain is to seek out the pain so that you can at least get it over with or that you're the one who is in control of it. It's the same thing. The problem is the whiplash. The problem is the fear of the distance of falling. Anything that keeps that gap small, whether that's staying low or never trying in the first place, or just all these other ways are trying to keep small that distance of potential disappointment or being let down or being hurt again. Hmm. That makes you think of that makes you think of when I'm being like a trash person and <laughs> I shouldn't call it that. That's a bit like That is a patented phrase to anybody who's listening. Y'all over fucking royalties. You describe <laughs> yourself as a trash person. Yeah, I shouldn't be thinking about myself like that. But yeah, like I go through phases of just being like, Yeah, I'm just gonna give up on trying to get any admiration. I'm just gonna disgust people instead and just yeah, just at least I'm in control of it. At least then I'm kind of, I'm the agent. They're not putting me in the disgusting place. I'm doing it for myself. And it's kind of a relief of I don't have to care about any of these people because I'm just doing it for myself already. And it's like a relief from just trying all the time. It's just, yeah, it's quite relaxing to be like, <laughs> be a trash person. But yeah, maybe other people have other ways of relaxing. I don't know. You know, this reminds me of somebody else who I was talking to about, but when you have all that pressure on it, and then sometimes there's a desire for the, uh, what is the word, the reveries, the orgiastic, the betraying of the things that are putting such strict rules on you. And so one of the examples that I gave is playing MOBA games. Particularly, I spent a lot of time playing League of Legends. Pretty sure you still get this in Dota as well. But when you're playing well, you are operating on timers around your teammates. You're thinking of objectives. You're playing mechanically while you're thinking into the future. Uh, you're constraining your resources. Each button click should be done intentionally and effortfully and as a part of the ends that you're trying to affect. And... In the game, then, you also see people where they get those moments where they can throw those shackles off, where there's a moment where it doesn't quite matter so much, or where they can showboat on people, and people can act out, and people fucking take it. So you can see this as people BMing when they teabag opponents in games, or when they kind of like run circles around you before they kill you, or like when the game is about to end, 
People will dive their opponent's fountain. They'll waste all their resources. They'll just spam buttons and just do stupid things. At the point when it doesn't matter anymore, you can get away with it. And it shows the desire for that release from the constraints that you're putting on yourself to always be constantly thinking of to achieve the outcome, which is to win the game. And you, you know, you're actually kind of making me almost think now of a description of trolling, which is also fucking rampant in some of these games, which is why I don't fucking play them anymore. And you can see it as people being like, well, I'm going to fucking lose anyways. I don't want to traumatize myself or to feel inferior or worthless by saying that I put in all my effort into this game and I still lost. So fuck it. I'm just going to lock in teleport, revive, Karthus, run it down mid, and go like 0-32 and, and get reported after the game. Shout out to all your game players. So, well, I mean, fucking revive, like, OG League players. One time, fiel niggas that know. And it's just, this happens in a lot of kind of forums where it's, again, it's a, you might think that you're the one who's in control. You might think you're the one who's powerful. You're the one who gets to dictate the outcome of this interaction of these 10 people and the outcome of this game purely based on your own terms. If you decide you want to throw the fucking game and you want your team to lose and you want this to be a miserable experience, you can fucking do that and you're probably going to succeed. And you might think that that's powerful. You might think that that's strong, but it really just belies the fear or insecurity of, again, that trauma of optimistically hoping for the good outcome, being disappointed and holding yourself responsible in a kind of toxic way of being like, well, if I couldn't be perfect or I couldn't do this right, why am I even fucking bothering? I must be worthless. I must be shit. As opposed to just being like, it is a game that literally fucking matches you, you against other players so that you have a 50% fucking win rate. That's ideally how it's supposed to work. And then so when you get frustrated when you lose, it's kind of like you're fighting against gravity. I don't know, play a single player game. This is not what the intent here is. But this is your way of trying to express your mastery and control over the interaction. Hmm. Yeah, gaming, I have no idea about. That makes you think of what people in the UK, when they go on holiday, they just turn into terrible people. Well, they're probably always terrible people. (laughs) But yeah, they just get really drunk, smash everything up. They're just awful. And it also reminds me of, yeah, when I started underage drinking, it was a really great release because I was under so much self-imposed pressure for schoolwork and for appearing to be this ideal daughter but then I just at the weekend I'd just go and underage drink and just be underage drink outside just be really obnoxious and it was really great at the time because I was like this is my release I can continue with all the kind of pressure and perfectionism the rest of the time but then I just yeah, I just have this release and it was really, it was really unhealthy. But at the time when I discovered it, I was like, this is just so relaxing. (laughs) So yeah, don't underage drink guys, I guess is the message. Well, I mean, it turned out so well for you. Okay. Um, Yeah, no, I mean that 
describing it kind of perfectly well, which is, again, a part of, I guess, therapy or being more integrated and being healthier is how do you get yourself to live in such a way that you don't need those sharp contrasts where you don't have to kind of whipsaw back and forth. Well, you have to be perfectionistic and carry out these standards, but then to react to the pressure of it and all that stuff, you have to do something destructive and unhealthy to compensate. And the more you keep that dichotomy or those kind of structures present in your life, the more entrenched and ingrained they are, and the more they get reinforced, and the more you start, again, starting to enjoy the relaxing of underage drink, drinking or being a trash person while on holiday which is apparently the British experience, just whatever it is that allows you to know what it is like to not be doing the thing that constantly is always demanding something of you that you're always afraid that you can always fall off of. Yeah, like how do you get to a point where instead you're just doing things that are, how do you narrow the bandwidth, I guess, of yeah, sometimes you do things for release, and yeah, sometimes you got to do things that you're under pressure for, but the things that you're pressured to do are not su- super onerous, so the demands are not unreasonable. Now, maybe when it comes to academics, is getting the degree or getting the job or being proficient, not being perfect or top of the class or the next Picasso or something like that. And then when it comes to your negative release valves or dysfunctional behaviors how do you make them shallower like maybe you play binge on video games like a day out of the week or something or you watch really trashy reality tv or something like these ways of kind of departing from the burdens or expectations upon you but not in ways that can potentially go really disastrously like a crippling alcohol addiction or turning into a sadistic fucker who needs to kind of just hurt other people to be egocentric. How do you instead make it shallower of what you need to do to feel that release or that relief? I don't know. How does that sit with you? Hmm, I think that's that sounds like more that sounds very sensible. That sounds like how you would fix this. Well, those kind of middle of the road things just don't have the pull of the other thing, <laughs> the other things to me, which is really bad. And it feels like just uh, it feels like more chores in the in yeah in the life. That wasn't really well put at all. But no, I- yeah, it, just, it just feels like tedious, and it it just kind of puts me in a like dead state where I just don't feel inspired. I just lose spark and creativity and yeah it just feels like a loss of life to Mm. some extent and that's a good thing to mention because i think with a lot of the sort of people they kind of see it as a tortured artist which is you have to suffer to produce great art or some shit like that which i think is fucking nonsensical well it's not nonsensical but uh it's certainly not true and just to again kind of mention to you one of the experiences that you kind of have is the relationship that we've been affecting and maintaining and i would say that we mostly manage it without these highs and these lows and there is still a lot of creativity a lot of a spark there there's something that keeps driving you forward and it just keeps on going yeah what was it the past you that you wanted to delete the one who was saying, how do you not get bored in long-term relationships? What's the point? You <laughs> And yeah, instead, we're kind of doing this thing and 
including giving other people kind of a look into it. And this, I mean, is this a worse off experience or chore-like or less enjoyable because of the lack of these highs and lows and peaks and troughs? Wow, putting the pressure on now. Like I feel like <laughs> I feel like yeah. you should or something. Jesus. No, that comes afterwards dependent on the answer to the question. Oh, well, I'm anti-wedding, so I just want to put you off now. And, but, um, and anti-ring pop, too, which is just travesty, but anywho. Yeah, I just just anti all of it. It can just be anything. Yeah, no, it's definitely pretty steady and drama-free, I think, unless I've been accidentally dramatic, which I'm not going to put past me, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's still enjoyable. I'd say for me, though, it still has that novelty factor of it being really different to what I've done before mm. and it being challenging in that kind of way. Yeah, very non-dramatic, stable kind of relationships are, I guess, like still excitement as a novel to me. But yeah, I get your point. I'm not just going to push the size, otherwise I don't get that proposal. <laughs> I think the thing, though, is that there is a different way to inject incitement or spark enthusiasm. And one of the things I think I've tried to draw your attention to, and also people on the sub is, what are the things you can only see from the vantage point of having that kind of deep, secure connection with somebody? What are the kinds of things you can do that you can't do when things are more fractious and up and down? And this also goes to the more general point of just for people with their lives, there can be these things that you love, that you care for, that you crave, that you desperately long to bring into the world, but can only be done with this consistent input of effort and stability. Thinking of projects, of desires, of thoughts that will take years, maybe even decades to affect. You can think of cathedrals or things like that in the medieval ages even sometimes spanning the lifetimes of the people who commissioned them. And there are, those can still be exciting and skillful and come with their own natural ups and downs. It's just a part of the rhythm and the wave of life. You don't need to necessarily try to inject incitement into it. It kind of comes part and parcel of expectations and disappointments and also triumphs and successes. And so the point there then is not that this is the boring option nor this is something that doing the same thing over and over again like you said to do something that is challenging it isn't like what you know there you're constantly going to deeper places or where you're building up to something that could only be done with a consistent maintenance of effort well that can keep your interest that can keep your excitement it's not like i think when people get bored of the common and steady it's again like you say at some point it becomes not challenging it's well i've consumed it i have it i possess it it's over i know how this goes we're now in routine we're just doing the same thing over and over we're spinning out the wheels or i am spinning out the wheels and that experience can happen and make things less enjoyable but that isn't a feature of how long the experience is or how stable, how steady it is. It's kind of how you think about it or the interaction with you and the other person. You can still have excitement and adventure, but without having toxicity or uh, all this other bullshit. Hmm. Non-toxic excitement. 
I don't know. Who the fuck would have thought? (laughs) But then New York Cathedral was a pretty grandiose. Like, look at them. Big dick buildings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well. I'll go back to the drawing board on that one. In take two, it'll be much better, I promise. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, we've got to set our sights on something, like, stable and depressing, like a, a small hovel with, like, <laughs> <toilet> <laughs> But, you know, I think, though, that there is still a way in which you can have the, the, a healthy grandiosity of these large-scale things that you want to affect, but that are reality-based that can actually be brought to fruition. Again, you can think of a book that somebody wants to write, or a mastery or a skill that they want to gain, or just interpersonal goals in a society. There are these things that, from the perspective of kind of looking at a blank page, or looking at a plot of land that has nothing done with it it is grandiose to just look at that space and say you know what the fuck i can do with this i'm gonna drop this great philosophy manifesto it's gonna be great it's gonna change the world okay well maybe not that but it, it is inherently grandiose to look at those spaces of nothing and to see something that that can be done with it and you can act on that grandiosity, though, and it can be good for yourself and for others. Hmm. Yeah, I think definitely oh, this is something I'm really struggling with at the moment because I think my motivation for stuff was all really grandiose motivation and like it's got to be the best thing and all of that kind of stuff. It's like, where does healthy motivation healthy kind of more healthy grandiosity work when you've just been used to kind of this really pressurized it'll be awful if it fails and it'll taint the whole experience if it isn't quite what you expect type of thinking which is it gets a lot done but it's kind of it's not particularly good for you Well, I mean, it isn't. And I mean, again, this kind of unhealthy grandiosity, there's an inherent senselessness to it of I'm going to do the thing that is the best that nobody else has ever done before and stands over and above their heads, you know, on the shoulders of giants. And somebody can reduce your thing into nothing by just saying, I don't give a fuck. Or I disagree with you. From my perspective, it's not as good as this. Fucking Kanye, you know, I'm going to let you finish, but Beyonce, it... And nobody can can stop you or stop other people from doing that. Something being the best, quote unquote, to some degree, will always rely on intersubjective agreement. And some people will fucking trash your shit just because they're petulant little children. And you can't fucking stop them unless, you know, you're a tanky like the hat that you just put on and you start ordering great purges. There's a, there's a just naivete to believing and this hierarchical thinking and this idea that there is a best and that you can achieve it when somebody can really just burst your bubble by just simply ignoring you of their own free will and volition. You might think this is the best. You might think everybody cares. You might think this is worthwhile. And I deprive you of that by just not giving a flying fuck. But what you can be grandiose about and that can be more stable In endurance, you can say something is worthwhile to you, or you can find the community of people who share values with you, who will look at this thing in the same way as you do and appreciate it. And that is something where you can say, this is significant, important, 
the, it just doesn't even make sense to say the best because it's vulnerable to the buy-in of the trust and security of all the people participating in it. But that's the only thing that you can really do that can have any sort of claim to being worth something or good. And again, you can see this alternation between even in yourself of perfectionistic standards, then wanting to be awful and trashy and completely subverting it. You're expressing just within yourself that inherent contradiction of, I can be perfectionistic, but I can also make it nothing just by flipping my perspective or changing what foot I'm standing on or what perch. And that is exactly the point. That process doesn't end or it doesn't change. It certainly doesn't get simpler when you add more people to it. But something where you say that this is significant or this is worthwhile or I enjoy it, I am invested, you build, spend the time to build it up kind of securely from the ground up and amongst people who are like-minded and kind of have a stability of their own inner environments, then yeah, that can go the distance. Hmm. Yeah, again, I think my brain, like, I understand. <laughs> I understand it cognitively. Blah, blah, blah. Words just came out of his face. Yeah, more. I heard words. <laughs> and I was just thinking about that cathedral again. And then I heard <laughs> a community of people who agree with you, and I heard purges. So <laughs> that's the fucking filter in my mind. No. <laughs> One, having like consistent values, that's something that I kind of struggle with. Yeah, I'll have values for some an amount of years and i'll be like no time for a new person or the community thing i kind of just don't i don't understand really what is it about everyone being in a community that makes it worthwhile i just <laughs> that goes over my head completely okay well what name me something that somebody could perfectionistically grandiosely try to achieve that's this kind of the best like this hierarchical thing of being one amongst others or over well, and above others yeah i don't i don't believe anything's the best now but yeah. i also don't believe anything has value now so i'm kind of <laughs> it's basically fucked so i'm like well it's all just it's just all trash i'm gonna be a trash person and roll around in all the trash around me so <laughs> And, you know, that's fine. You, you know, nobody can deprive you of having that kind of inner environment or motivation structure. But then what about people who just say, well, but I do care about shit. Why? Fuck you. That's why. So I want to. I don't give a fuck. Change my I mind. I mean, at that point, I'm just like, well, I don't care anyway, because I'm just in the valueless trash bit. So why should I value them? caring you can care but i'm just in trash and i don't need to convince you anymore because i'm just uh, at the tip at that point <laughs> well you know and again there you go though but that's the community thing is you would seek the people who have the values that you do or who allows you to express the things that you want to and allows you to be who you are and again other people they can do similar things and make different life decisions and so the thing about a community is, I mean, there's no way for you to define anything that is the best or anything that's comparison-based involves other people, which involves their buy-in and their perspective, which means there needs to be some common basis 
of which we're talking about values and comparisons and wow, we're in a community, a community of people who have similar enough values for these rankings to even make sense for these comparisons to be worth the air spent to articulate them. If you're just completely in the void, if you're outside of a community, if you don't have any space or connections to other people where you have some sort of agreement or basis to say here are good things or bad things or preferences or dislikes then there is no potential for grandiosity or perfection you're just somebody doing your own fucking shit that doesn't mean anything to anybody else unless they decide it does or it's kind of at the mercy of other people's whims but just being narcissistic and isolated within yourself, I mean, that's the whole point of the void and the emptiness. Just being by yourself is nothing, kind of. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not selling it. I'm not like, this is a good thing that we should be fucking Houston Manifesto or anything like that. God, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. No. <laughs> People can come back later for your mixtape. I'm sure it'll drop some point after the pod. Oh my god, I've got to I've got to stop saying this stuff. Yeah, I'm not trying to tell this. This is not a good life at all. <laughs> but I guess yeah, I just need to join the dots emotionally on why it's good to be in a community in a healthy way. Like I just don't really mm. understand that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I guess the thing that I was thinking was talking about what I was trying to follow up on or maybe pick apart there was understanding the motivation for perfectionistic standards or wanting to be better than and then trying to tie that into you cannot have that without a community of some sort. And in this case, it can still be a toxic community or it can be really delusional kind of community of Donald Trump being like, well, I'm the president. And it's like, yeah, sure you are, buddy, but half the world thinks you're a fucking moron. It's one of those things where you can have these communities of alternate realities or pockets or bubbles and all sorts of things. But it ha- it is there. It- it's not even that it has to be or should be. It simply is. That is... Otherwise, you have no way of kind of talking about what some of these qualities are and how they stack up or what they mean. And so if you understand the desire, and again, I suppose this is for the audience as well, of wanting to be above or better in the ways that we've been describing, then you are already implicitly talking about a community of people who renders those judgments meaningful or significant or who agree to you. And that's a part of what kind of abusive and controlling behaviors or kind of toxic things are supposed to do sometimes, which is to get other people to buy into your community or your way of seeing things, to privilege you as having these qualities that you're looking for and espousing. It's not a healthy version of community, but it is a version and you are interacting with it. And so I guess what I'm trying, I'm trying to get to the healthy idea of it from the implicit idea of it that's underlying some of these other disordered modes of thinking. Hmm. That's that's a really terrifying thought, though, the fact that everyone <laughs> could just wake up and be like, we just don't like you anymore today. Get fucked. That's just... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, again, this is why people try not to think about it, because it's vulnerable. Vulnerability is fucking terrifying. But it doesn't mean it's not there. 
just means that it's going to keep operating your interactions and you're just going to be ignorant and unaware. And, you know, speaking from the more disordered or unpleasant side, this is one of those avenues while eat people alive if I need to, because I can just see things underlying your actions and things that motivate what you're aiming for and looking towards. And I accept it. I embrace it. It's difficult. It's hard. It's vulnerable. I'm not completely in control, but I still far more in control of somebody who's just trying to pretend it doesn't exist or isn't aware in the first place. Hmm. I don't know whether to take that as a threat or as a reassurance. That's a double-edged, interesting one. <laughs> oh. Oh man, we're going to get called out for this podcast in these adults only parental guidance. I sure as fuck hope it is already. But yeah, I mean, we got to be honest. There's still combat. There's unpleasant behaviors. But yeah, I think it's a maybe it's naivete, maybe it's hubris, but it's also a sign of how fairly secure I am and confident I am with my perspectives and the ways that I have of things that I got no fucking qualms of telling people kind of how I work and how I see things and how I operate. And it doesn't fucking matter. It can't stop me. It's just, it's closer to the truth than it's one of those things where people who are maybe more disordered and are trying to flee from those spaces, I'm going to swim better because again, I kind of see these things and embrace them and it gives me an advantage. And if you were somebody who is capable of understanding these things better and of kind of using it as a knife or a dagger against me and kind of trying to find my weak spots, you don't understand these things deeply enough where you wouldn't be motivated to do that for dumb fuck nonsensical reasons anyways. So either way, it's just there is kind of no threat in that space from what I see of being able to share it. It's one of those things where the people who understand it would have no need to turn it towards ill intent. Hmm. How do we get from lovely, we live in a community to... <laughs> what? Now we're trying to have a swimming competition who's going to drown. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this is kind of the vulnerability of you can turn these similar things in whichever direction you want. And nobody can kind of stop people. And people do go in these differing directions. And it does none of us any well to kind of stick our own hands in the sand and pretend that it doesn't work that way. Hmm. Oh, I feel like I'm running out of steam now. Oh, so am I. I was just about to say that uh, I think part <laughs> of the reason why we're going all over the place right now, though, is that we're both fucking tired. You know, we're My talking. brain is taken over now, I think. <laughs> Great. So uh, we can bag it and tag it there. Hopefully the community that we have built up with people will just subjectively agree that this is the best shit that they've ever heard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's, I think that's the lesson to take from this smorgasbord of wherever the fuck we've been on this cast. But this has yeah. been interesting. Kind of started with the childhood stuff, kind of went in some places from there. I think there's quite a number of things in here that be really good for people to hear or maybe even hear some people's feedback optimistically see how much of this resonates with others what do you think 
Hmm. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking all the times where I said something. I was just like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some good stuff as well. My memory is like, no, let's just fucking think of school shooting. Yeah. I'm sure there was some good stuff somewhere that was probably not said by me. But <laughs> Uh, people truly contain multitudes but yeah so uh we'll call it there and i guess we'll see where we go next time seeing as we're still sort of nominally trying to get through your introduction before we kind of move on to theme topics or unstructured rants maybe this was an unstructured <laughs> rant maybe we're just saying maybe we're just ahead of schedule yeah. Ahead of the, the five-year plan that uh, yeah. I'm sure you <laughs> have for our viewers and audience. But yeah, so thank you to everybody for coming on by. Thanks, Bruno and Lila, for sharing some of these things with us. And hopefully we kind of work on some of the thoughts and experiences that we both kind of put out here. Yeah, nice. All right, fucking sick. We're out. See you later, audience. Thanks for coming by. For the audience, yet again, she did indeed wave her hand goodbye, as I'm sure is going to be her want. We started this, and now it's going to be a meme. So in her own way of being a trash person, but also still being a part of the pod and loving and caring of you all, this is how she is signing off, and we embrace it. Thanks, everyone.